So good morning, Eastside family. The, the uh, slide is already up. I saw some parents sneaking away during the prayer. I guess that means my eyes were open for a portion of it. But if you haven't gone yet or you kind of know and trying to figure out what this is about, children three years old through third grade are going with their parents that way. They're being dropped off. We have some wonderful adults who sacrifice missing the sermon of all things so that they can watch, I'm joking, they can watch the children and, and have a great junior worship with them. As they're leaving, I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of an incredibly important aspect of our worship assembly, and that is our offering that we bring to God every week. And we're making it possible for you to give that offering in four different ways. You can mail a check to our church address. You can give an automatic draft through your bank which is a very easy thing to do. You can go online to our website, eastsidesprings.com. There's a box right there on the homepage that says give. Very easy instructions. Or if you're here in person, you can drop off your contribution at the table right there in the middle of the auditorium on your way out. And if you're not here in person, but you're here with us live streaming, we are humbled, we are honored, we are delighted that you're with us today. You're just as much a part of this family as those who are here in person. It means a lot that you took time to um, tune in with us today. Luke chapter 18, our text that we're going to be looking at this morning is verses 9 through 14. So, some time ago a friend called me because he was going to court the next day and, and he needed to talk. He had committed a crime again and he had was basically had been hiding away for a whole year in another state but finally the federal marshals caught up with him they brought him back to the state where he committed the crime and the next day after this phone call he was going to be going to court and he was facing the possibility of going to prison again and this time, somewhere probably around 15 years. And he called me and he said, Eddie, would you, would you pray for me? He said, I, I just can't pray, he told me. He said, I, it would just be hypocritical. He said, after what I have done, I just feel like God has, I, I can hear his his." Alabama accent right now. I just feel as though God has turned his back on me, Eddie. I don't think God will hear my prayers. Will you pray for me? Does God hear a sinner's prayer? Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you just can't pray? That you're carrying so much guilt and shame, whatever. And it's maybe, maybe you start to pray in, and immediately as soon as you start to pray in, all of a sudden what you did, it may be so many years ago, all of a sudden it's just bam, right there. And that's all you can think about. The more you try not to think about it, the more you think about it. And it's like it just, your prayers are bouncing off of a, of a ceiling that won't let them go anywhere because that's all you can think about. 
And I'm not speaking there hypothetically. <laughs> I'm sharing that actually from personal experience. Perhaps you have the same experience. Or maybe when you start to pray, it's not that something just hits your conscience to happen years ago. Maybe it's something that happened yesterday. And all you can think about as you try to go to prayer is about what you did yesterday. You watched a, a movie that was just, it was just filthy. Or maybe you, you looked at porn again and now you just feel like it's just pounding. How can I, I just feel so dirty. How can I pray? Or you start out, dear God, and as soon as you start out, dear God, all you can remember is the way that you used God's name yesterday. Or after the angry outburst you had with your kids. Or the horrible things you said yesterday to your spouse. Or after the lie that you told your boss. Or after the gossip you said to a, a, a church member. It's like, how are you going to pray? And after saying all the things, maybe some of you guys are going, how did, how did he know that about me? Well, preachers, we know these things, right? Because preachers do these things. I have those moments. I understand those moments when there's this heavy, oppressive feeling of guilt or shame and that prayer plane, it just won't, it's too heavy, it just won't take off. Those times when how can I lift my head and look to God? Does God hear a sinner's prayer? Does God hear my prayers? Or then maybe... Maybe you're on the other side of the coin that you're not feeling any guilt or, or any shame, but something doesn't feel right. You're praying, but it feels flat. You come into church, you're taking communion, you go to classes, you're involved in church activities, you're saying your prayers. But it feels empty, lifeless, and routine. It's like, yeah, your lips are moving, but it's kind of like the wheels that are moving in a car that's just stuck in a rut, going nowhere. Moving religiously on the outside, but feeling spiritually dead on the inside inside does that describe your prayer life and the truth be told when I ask that question probably some of you if you would be honest and it's hard to be honest about these things you'd be going or you're going prayer life <laughs> what prayer life are you talking about you see statistically speaking most of us really 
don't have much of a prayer life if research is correct other than a prayer before a meal or following along as somebody like Mark, one of our shepherds, leads us in a prayer. So maybe the question isn't when you pray, is it like this or is it like this? The question perhaps is, do you pray? As I've said before, as we're walking through Luke, it's, it's really, as you look at the example of Jesus, honestly, it's impossible to follow Jesus and prayer just not be an integral part of your life if you're really following Jesus. And so the Jesus disciples come to him, as we see in the Gospel of Luke, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so as you read all throughout Luke, by his life example, if you follow it, you see him praying. And we see a number of passages in Luke where Jesus stops and teaches on prayer. And so that's where we are in, 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 the, in Luke chapter 18. There's these two parables back to back, one following the other, both of them on prayer. Last week, we looked at the parable of the persistent, but I called her the pestering widow. And we learned prayer from her example. And so now we're brought before two individuals who were together at church. There's a lesson we learn from them on prayer. Let's take a look at this second parable, verse 9, chapter 18. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, And then you see him just stop and he looks over at somebody and I'm so glad I'm not like this tax collector. And then he quits looking at the tax collector and he looks back to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like the other people. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance He would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, you can just, you can feel the emotions in this statement. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus then said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, some of you, if you're looking at the screen, you're going to say this uh, country hick from Tennessee has a grammatical error on the sermon title where it says the sinner's prayer, the apostrophe, Eddie, is supposed to be between the R and the S. And 99% of the time, if you want to criticize my grammar, you're probably correct. But I think I got this one right. The apostrophe between the R and the S means singular, one sinner. The apostrophe after the S is talking about plural. My point is, in this story, there are two sinners. One knew it, but the other one didn't. Or he did. He knew it deep down, but he wouldn't admit it, not even to himself. Certainly not to God, and most certainly not to others, especially at church. And so he carried on this beautiful religious show at church for himself and for God and for others. There's two sinners in this story. They both prayed. 
did, does God hear a sinner's prayer? And we need to understand when I say hear, I don't mean audibly receive sound. I mean answer and respond to favorably. Does God hear the sinner's prayer? I think there's two answers in this parable to that question. No and yes. And now that's weird. Wait a minute. God doesn't doesn't hear a prayer? That's kind of strange. It feels weird for me to even say that. You see, it depends on which sinner we're talking about. It depends on which sinner you are. So let's just take a look at, at, at both of these guys. The first one Jesus identifies as a Pharisee. And for those of us or those of you that have been reading the New Testament for a while, you hear the word Pharisee and your mind goes immediately to a bad guy. But not Jesus' listeners here to this parable. They're thinking a really great, godly, honorable man. A man of God. A man in right standing with God. A man of a, a, who is a, a, a respected Religious member of, of a most honored social group. And honestly, had I seen this guy come to church over a period of time, I, I would have been, if, if I couldn't read into his heart, if I wasn't following his life very closely, and all I knew of this guy is what I saw right here, I would be incredibly impressed with him. For example, first of all, he's here. Or for them, not the church building like we have. He was at the temple. He's where he's supposed to be. I mean, you've heard the story. The doors are open and he is there where God wants him to be. He's a good church goer. And then as he mentions, he's not a robber. He's not an evildoer. He's not an adulterer. He doesn't kill. He doesn't steal. He doesn't commit adultery. Might, we might could say he doesn't commit the big ones. And you want to stack on to that as we look at his words. He fasts twice a week. Now, Mosaical law required fasting once a year on the Day of Atonement. And this guy's just taken up to a, a much higher level along with the other ultra-pious Jews of his day. And he was fasting, according to the fasting of the Pharisees, on Monday and Thursday. I mean, who does that? Very impressive and everybody knew about it and then he tithed regularly he made his offerings regularly now as far as the law of the Old Testament was concerned you actually weren't required to give 10% of everything there were certain crops you were required to give 10% but you notice in his prayers he says I give a tenth of all that I get I mean who does that when the offering announcement is made, I used to say when the plates are passed, but when the offering announcement is made, you can count on this guy. He is faithfully giving. As a matter of fact, he's not given the average 3% that most Christians give. So you, you want to really get an idea of, of what somebody's relationship is like with God. Look at their giving. On, from that point of view, this was a righteous man. On the outside at church, we would be going, wow. But evidently, it wasn't so wow if you really knew him. Because Jesus tells us that after church, 
after the temple worship, he went home not justified, not, not in a good relationship. That's just a fancy church word. Not justified by God. Oh, but he thought he was. He was far from God. And God was not hearing his prayers. Because Jesus describes him at the beginning of this parable as, as an individual who was confident of his own righteousness. His chest at church was puffed out. And he knew how you're supposed to pray with the right prayer language. He started out a prayer as it should be. The Lord's Prayer as we worshipped with a couple of weeks ago. You start out with, with praise and thanksgiving. That's how he started his prayer. But it wasn't a thankfulness to God. <laughs> he, was, he was thankful for himself. Actually, actually, if you wanted to take the original language in the Greek of this New Testament verse and you wanted to, to translate it, you could be very honest to this passage and literally translate it in this way. Is that he stood up and he started to pray to himself. And honestly, looking at this story, that's about right. Because this was not about God. His religious activity, as Jesus described it, it wasn't for the purpose of exalting God. This was a stage for his own self-exaltation. This was a look at me. And he was looking at himself. And isn't it interesting, you notice in his prayer, he makes not one request to God. You think, well, why not? Well, he didn't need anything from God. He did it all himself, about himself, and for himself. And, and at church, his focus is not on God. Did you notice that? He's looking around at others. No, he's looking down at others and he's comparing himself to others just look at him why is he even here do you do you see the way they are dressed at church Did you notice what's written on his t-shirt? Or how appropriate in Colorado it would be. Just look at those tattoos. <laughs> Where's my tattoo fans? <laughs> right here, they're proud of it. Here they come again. Late as usual. It's like clearly God is not their priority. I don't think they're married. I think they're shacking up. And they're just, they're here? 
I don't think he's had a bath in a long while. She has a hickey on her neck. And it's not covered up. And they mean like, where? At least get a scarf. Where's the shame? <laughs> Did you see in the parking lot what's written on their bumper sticker? Seriously? She posts what she posts on Facebook. Put that picture publicly for all to see. And then he just walks in here like everything's cool with God. Are you kidding me? Look at the Duke's children over there. I would never let my children behave like their children. Drew told me I should make fun of you guys today, all right? I mean, they're from Tennessee. What do you expect? They probably don't have shoes on. I swear, when he walked, when he walked in the front door and walked past me, I think it was cigarette smoke. It might have been some other kind of smoke. It was, it was horrible. And look at them. They're playing with their phones. They're not even paying attention. Like I am. Like what is happening to this church? They'll just let anyone in here. And honestly, truth be told, and you may not be like me, though I, I would never be so bold as this guy and say such things out loud to anyone and certainly not to God but I have felt them and said them in my heart as I have compared myself <laughs> I shouldn't have laughed there to others and that's what was going wrong with this guy if he had only been looking to God if he'd only been comparing himself to God he would have really seen himself for who he was and he would have seen his own sinfulness but instead he was only comparing himself to others and whenever you do that one of two things are going to happen you're going to feel really terrible about yourself are you going to feel really great about yourself and this guy was like a winner because he felt so great about himself when he compared himself to others I mean God must be so proud of him because he was certainly proud of himself but the crazy part of it all he was so far from God he was praying but his prayers were hitting the ceiling of his self-centered worship and his self-righteous pride that's as far as it was going. He was stuck in a rut of ritualism and legalism. Isn't that crazy? You can be doing all of the church stuff but be so far from God and your prayers not be heard. Going through all the ritualistic religious motions on the outside but you can be so dead spiritually on the inside void of a vibrant relationship with God and if deep down you're identifying with this guy and it'd be hard to admit wouldn't it but if deep down you're identifying with this guy and said man that's too much me then maybe it's no wonder that you're feeling 
so blah, so empty, so dead spiritually. Because maybe you are. If you feel like God isn't hearing your prayers, maybe it's because He isn't. Now that's weird to hear, isn't it? Maybe it's because your pride, your self-centeredness, and your religion have become actually a hindrance to prayer and a barrier between you and God because like this man, you're not being honest with God about who you really are. You're just, you're just pretending. And I know it's like, that's really a happy thought, Eddie. I mean, that really sounds harsh, doesn't it? But please understand, Jesus' objective with this story isn't to beat people up, but it's to wake us up so that we'll be more like the other guy. And so let's look at the other guy. Now, in your NIV Bibles, he's called a tax collector. If you have a King James Version, he's called a publican, not to be confused with a republican. This guy was tax collectors, and we're going, who cares about tax collectors? They did in their day. They hated them. They detested them for two reasons. First of all, on the account of his employment, they took your money. They cheated you. And secondly, the manner in which they, they did their jobs. They were harsh. They were greedy. They were deceptive. They had a reputation. When you heard the word tax collector, you thought corrupt. You thought cor- uh, crook. You thought collaborator. They collaborated with the idolatrous, evil Roman Empire, and they lined their pockets deceptively with your money. I mean, Jesus, I'm not sure if he could have picked a person who was further at the bottom of the sin barrel than this guy. And the strange thing about it, he was here. He'd come to church that day. Like, what's he doing here? I I think it took courage for him to come. Because he knew, the tax collectors knew how everybody felt about him. And so for him to come to church, to the temple, there were some barriers he had to cross. Barriers that a lot of people have yet to cross. There are sadly far too many people who are not here today because they realize they don't think they should be here. How can they be here after what they have done? How can they ever come here? How can they ever come back? Because they know how the rest of us feel about them. They think to themselves, I'm, I can't, I'm just not as good as they are. You know, if people only knew us, and I mean Christians, if people only knew us for who we are, perhaps they would come to know Jesus for who he really is. Somehow this guy crossed these barriers and he came to the temple, but he didn't come sit down front. It says in verse 13, he stood at a distance. And so you're kind of thinking, after everybody's here a little bit late, he slipped in and he found a discreet place in the back because he just didn't want anybody to say, oh, look, there, there he is. It's like something must have drawn him there. Something told him, you really need to be there. But he was embarrassed. He felt like he didn't fit in. He felt like everybody looked down upon him and that they didn't want him there 
And unlike the Pharisee, he's not looking around. He's not looking at others. He's not comparing himself to others, making judgments about when you're coming to church, what you're wearing or what's on your car or, or how you're dressed. Or He's looking and comparing himself only to God and against the holiness of God. He feels so incredibly unholy. Luke writes that he can't even lift his head up to heaven. His head is bowed in guilt and shame. And his chest, unlike the other guy, is not puffed up. As a matter of fact, it says he's beating his chest. That was a cultural expression of expressing great sorrow. But he squeaks out a prayer anyway. Wasn't eloquent. He didn't have the right prayer language, but there were seven ineloquent and brutally honest words of brokenness and contrition, a sincere prayer of confession from the heart. God, you can feel it. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Have mercy on you? And you expect just to walk in here, say that, and I'm going to hear you? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? The answer is yes. God heard his prayer. Jesus tells us that he went home justified before God. There's that fancy word. He went home Right in a good relationship with God, heard by God, forgiven by God, and embraced by God. What is Jesus teaching us here in this parable on prayer? It is the very lesson that King David, when he came face to face with some big sin in his life, it's what he confessed and shared in Psalm 51. If you're looking for words to pray because of the sin in your life, a confession, but you can't muster up the words, read Psalm 51. It's written given to us by God for that purpose. David wrote there, he said, God, he learned this lesson. This is what I believe Jesus is teaching us here, that God's not looking for external religious ritualistic acts that are void of dishonest, that are void of honesty and sincerity, but he's looking for a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That's this tax collector. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what needs to characterize your prayers. What is Jesus telling us here and teaching us here about prayer? Quit the show. <laughs> Stop pretending to God, to others, to yourself. Be honest about your life. I think it's the lesson that we're learning here that, that people that go to AA learn. You're only as sick as your secrets. You know, one of the biggest hurdles in experiencing God's power in prayer is our desire to look good. But when our desire to look good takes precedent, precedence over being good, then it just throws up a barrier to God working and hearing and, and, and responding powerfully. In our prayers. That's what happened with this man in this story. Church, it's when we openly and honestly come before God and say, here it is. I know it's messy. I know it's ugly. I know I shouldn't have said or done or thought those things. 
is then we began breaking down those walls between us and God. And God puts us on the path of going home in right relationship with Him. Jesus is teaching us here that prayer is confessional. If that was a way to sum up what I'm trying to say, it's confessional. And Scripture tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, I think in verse 8 back up, he says, look, if you're going to sit here and go, I don't sin, especially not like them, he says, you are a liar, you're lying, you know you do. But if you confess your sins, that means be honest, be open, be transparent. If you will confess your sins, he is faithful and just, he will forgive you of your sins, he will forgive you, and he will purify. That means he'll not just forgive, he will change you from all, all unrighteousness. It's not from except for that or except for that. It's from all, whatever it is. That, listen, that is a promise from God. It's a promise. And that's the beautiful confessional prayer that God taught his people to pray in Second Chronicles. It was years ago when the temple was being dedicated. And the temple, it was to be a house of prayer. And God wanted his people there to pray. And of prayer, he says, if my people, most of us know this well, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land now my eyes will be open my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place so what do I tell my friend and he'll probably call again because every once in a while he does when he calls again and he's done it again and he's feeling so ashamed and so guilty that he can't imagine they could ever pray to God. What, what do I tell him? I would say, Tommy, some of us may dress up better than others. Some of us may cover up better than others. Some of us may do the church thing a lot better than others. But in truth, we've all got our stuff. And you are here on equal ground equally loved by God all of us sinners desperately in need of his mercy and though by your words and your actions and attitudes of your heart you have again turned away from God I want you to know he hasn't turned away from you he just hasn't stopped loving you and he waits and longs for you to turn to him in open, honest confession that he may forgive you and heal you and pour out upon you his mercy. Church, it's really not complicated what we've learned on prayer today. We've learned it from this tax collector. It's just this simple. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's try that. Would you bow with me? Lord, I'm asking that you would do what I can't do. Your job is to take these words and just penetrate deep into our hearts, our souls, and bring conviction. 
and comfort and compassion and life change and transformation. God, if in any way there is pride and self-righteousness and self-centeredness in our lives that is just putting up barriers between us and you, show us that. God, in this moment of quietness, reveal to us the sin in our lives that we have been suppressing and covering up and keeping the doors closed on. Reveal that to us in this moment of silence. We openly and honestly bring it to you. Thank you, so desperately thank you for your mercy, for your unfailing love, for your forgiveness, and for the healing that you bring when we bring ourselves openly and honestly before you. I'm going to ask that you stand now. We're going to continue this prayer in song. And don't be embarrassed if you need to step out for prayer. Those of you that are looking at someone else thinking, oh yeah, I guess they need to go for prayer. That probably means you do too. Because <laughs> I do. We all do. Let's, let's reach out to our shepherds to one another and let's encourage each other. Let's pray together as we go before God in this time. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.